This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is brought to you by Crossway. Do you long to understand the Bible in a deeper way? The ESV Study Bible was created by a diverse team of leading Bible scholars and teachers and features a wide array of study tools, including extensive study notes, topical theology articles, Bible character profiles, and more, making it a valuable resource for serious readers, students, and teachers of God's Word. Pick up a copy of the ESV Study Bible wherever Bibles are sold or visit crossway.org plus to find out how you can get 30% off. Welcome to the Gospel Coalition Podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. On today's episode, you'll hear a panel discussion from TGC's 2021 National Conference. Hello, everybody. My name's John Yates. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad to be with you on the uh, screen tonight, wherever you are watching this. Uh, we're going to have a good time. This is a panel on how to run with endurance in the ministry. And just following our panel, there's going to be a short talk by Michael Horton. And then following Michael Horton, there will be a second keynote talk by Julius Kim. So we got a lot to look forward to tonight. We're going to have a good time. I don't know if you know uh, all of these men. Uh, there's Matt Carter down there on the end. Matt is at Sagemont Church in Houston, Texas. He was the pastor of Austin Stone Community Church in Austin, Texas, up until just one year ago. So he's been through some major changes in the last year. And then Vermont Pierre is from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. For 16 years, Vermont has been the leader of Roosevelt Community Church. And Afshin Ziafat is the lead pastor of Providence Church in Frisco, Texas. He's been there about 11 years now, I think. And uh, Afshin's a, a little different from the rest of us. His native land is Iran. And uh, when he converted to Christ, uh, that caused a terrible difficulties in his family. And I don't know if we'll hear anything about that tonight. But uh, we said before we came in, this is just going to be sort of like we're sitting around uh, Vermont's uh, family room talking tonight about the ministry and the challenges that make it hard sometimes to endure. Uh, 
each of us have had uh, different stories, but we're all married with families, and we've all carried huge responsibilities in church ministry and our individual callings. Really glad to have this opportunity to talk with you all. I actually am from Virginia. I have been a pastor for over 50 years, and I just stepped aside a couple of years ago. So, hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you. So we're here to talk about the challenge of maintaining vitality and joy and effectiveness in the ministry over the long haul. And so we want to consider with you how to uh, run with endurance the race that God calls us to in ministry. Um, I'm guessing, in fact, I know that each one of us have had down times over the years when we've been tempted to quit. And so we want to talk about endurance in the ministry, both objectively, but also just personally as well. We're not, we're not here necessarily because we're experts in how to persevere in the ministry, but just because we've got a lot of experience and we've learned some lessons that we hope will be helpful to you. Hope to inform you and warn you and encourage you and instruct you from our experience. So this session is for, it's for people in ministry, not just for pastors, but for anybody who is seeking to serve Christ effectively wherever you are. But because we are all <coughs> pastors, that's kind of the context in which we uh, will address this question. You know, there have been a lot of studies done. You've probably read some about how hard it is for pastors to stay in the ministry. And um, I, I'm suspicious of statistics about pastors dropping out of the ministry. Uh, but we all know that that happens, and it happens frequently. And I, I've just got one quote, the only quote I'm going to read to you all night, about challenges of the ministry, because I laughed out loud when I read it. It's written by uh, a Michigan State University professor who did a study a few years ago on challenges of pastoral ministry. Let me read to you what he says. He says, the breadth of tasks performed by local church pastors, coupled with the rapid switching between tasks, clusters, and roles in this position is unique. I've never encountered such a fast-paced job with such varied and impactful responsibilities. Performing all, this is the quote I like, performing all the different tasks required of most local church pastors would require 64 different personal competencies. It's almost inconceivable to imagine that a single person could be uniformly high on the 64 distinct knowledge, skills, and abilities and personal characteristics. So if you thought you were tired, that's why. So <laughs> I want to just uh, throw out to my friends here, uh, if, you, if you have indeed had uh, times in your ministry when you were so tired or frustrated that you felt like you wanted to quit or came near quitting, just tell us what it's like. Or maybe an easier way to get into this is uh, to say, what, what in your experience are some of the reasons that cause us to want to quit? I wanted to quit many times during the ministry, many times. And every time I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, can I leave now? He said, permission denied, son. 
remain in place. <laughs> That's good. So I did. I'm glad I did. What do you think are some of the reasons, guys? That Ramon, what do you think are some of the reasons why? You know, I think um, for a lot of people, it's just that feeling of being sort of overburdened, um, feeling as if you sort of carry the the whole weight of the church on you, and that uh, <laughs> success of the church in almost any area, the success of not just you know, Sunday morning, but the children's ministry, the nursery, everything sort of depends on you and you find yourself sort of um, just constantly running, trying to keep everything going, trying to keep everything in place. And that can be true whether the church is doing well or, or it's not doing so well. You just sort of have this sense of, of it all falls on me. And if I, if, we have, if I mess up just a little bit, it's all going to fall apart. It gets to the point, I know this happened with me, where you, I called it, I'm grinding, right? I'm just sort of going through the motions, getting through each week, and there's no joy there anymore. It's just, you're just doing sort of the same type of things each day of the week to get through into the next week. And you begin to ask yourself, so what's going on? Like, is this really what I wanted to be doing? It's not what I wanted to be doing. I didn't get into this to be doing this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I think um, there's so many things we could talk about it, uh, in terms of why people uh, in ministry struggle or want to quit, you know, obviously, burden the the weight criticism that comes our way uh this past year has i feel like we all i'm sure have gone through uh i feel like on every issue be it you know politics or uh racial unrest or uh you know pandemic masks i mean we've been critiqued like crazy but man i i really think that uh there's something really fundamental on, on a foundational level uh is really settling um, or, or maybe I should say not being settled in what your identity is in and where, where your identity is rooted. I think that's the main uh, thing that, that goes off. And for me, it, you know, I've been pastoring for 10 to 11 years, but before that I was traveling and preaching. And, um, you know, coming from a Muslim background and becoming a Christian, I had this testimony that, you know, was, was really powerful of what God did in, in my life. And so it afforded me opportunities to, to speak at different conferences and everything. And uh, doors were being opened. And, uh, and slowly but surely, I feel like the Lord was um, uh, allowing me to go into a place of just dryness. And, and I remember sitting in my bed one night and just wondering, um, where, where's the joy I had when I had become a Christian? Uh, being able to, you know, by God's strength, walk away from my, my father and my family because Jesus was enough for me. And not being able to sleep at night, literally at a youth camp, because I couldn't believe that God would love me. Like, that joy's gone. And I feel like the Lord was telling me, Afshin, you used to love me for who I am, but now uh, you love me for what I give you, what opportunities. And uh, I went to a scripture. I mean, this is in the middle of a 10-day period where I was just getting away fasting and just seeking the Lord, going, what's wrong? In the middle of this, God led me to a passage in Exodus where uh, Moses leads the people out of, the, uh, out of uh, Egypt and is uh, heading to the promised land. Of course, they build the golden calf and God says, look, you take your people. It's the first time he calls them your people. You take your people into the land, but I'm not going to go in your midst. And I read that and I felt like God was saying, Afshin, you can have all this stuff, but, but I'm not going to be in it. And I remember just going, God, if I don't have you, don't give me another ministry opportunity. I mean, this is, who cares? This is about you. And, and, and I want to know you. I want to worship you, follow you. And right after that, if you keep reading, Moses does essentially the same thing. If you don't go with us, don't take us into the land. In other words, don't give us the land. 
You know, the greatest thing about our lives, men and women, is that we can know God and be known by him. When, when, when the 70 returned to Jesus uh, after he sent them out in Luke, uh, they say, man, even the demons are subject to us in your name, Jesus. And Jesus eventually says, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. So where is your joy rooted in? Is it rooted in your ministry? Or is it rooted in your identity and your being a child of God? And so for me, I, I had to get to that point where I said, God, if you don't go uh, with me, I, 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 don't, I don't want ministry. And so uh, that was early in my ministry, but I think it's, it was a, a moment that I had to go through to really put the, the, the flag in the ground that uh, if the ministry goes away, I don't care because what I need most is Jesus. So. You mentioned Moses. I, I've been reading Moses lately. My wife and I have both been reading. And uh, there's so much about Moses that you identify with in the ministry because all of his problems had to do with the people. Um, he, 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 if it hadn't been for the people, it would have been great. And, you know, it's, it's the people in the church who make the ministry so hard. And every minister worth his salt has said to his, said to his secretary or somebody, God, if it just wasn't for the people around here, I think I would really love this work. But people let you down. Yeah. And people jump on you and criticize you, especially this last year. And... Uh, there's a lot of nagging. And the other thing about our people is we have the responsibility to, to walk with people through the most difficult moments of life. We, it's a great privilege, but it's a huge weight and responsibility on us to have to um, deal with the tragedies that we face. We don't always have the answers. And you, you just... You, you come to the end of your own resources very quickly in the ministry. I don't know, Matt, you have some thoughts? Yeah, for me, it's been, it's been physical, emotional, spiritual fatigue yeah. and, and criticism have been the two things that have been <clears throat> the most significant for me. Tell a quick story. I was, um, I think it was one of these conferences and was walking outside and I saw Matt Chandler and Matt, Matt and I know each other from Texas and <clears throat> we've just talk like you do in conferences. And he was telling me this story. He said, Matt, I am worn out. And the example that he gave, this was years ago. He said, I'm preaching four services a Sunday. And he said, the other day, I got done with the fourth service. I, I went and I got in my car, put my hands on the steering wheel, and I just started weeping. <clears throat> and what went through my mind is, man, what a wimp, <laughs> you know? What, <clears throat> what kind of person cries just because you're preaching a lot, you know? Well, my church in Austin started growing, and we were up to four services at one point, and I, I think I preached 13 or 14 Sundays a row doing four services, and I distinctly remember getting done with the fourth service and getting in my car, and just for no reason, I just started losing it. And um, I think we, you're right, whatever those 63 things that we must be competent on, they wear us completely out. And then criticism, and as you know, we talked about it, I just moved churches. I was the founding pastor of the Austin Stone, was there for 18 years. And then for some crazy reason, I took a job in Houston at an established church that had been there for 53 years, and I was the second pastor in their history. And I've gotten more <clears throat> negative emails in the last year than I probably have in the last 15 in my previous church. And it hit me one, one day, 
I got a nasty email, and, um, and it hit me that this person that's writing this email doesn't really realize how the accumulative effect of multiple negative things that come into your life, and we carry a lot of that as pastors, and um, it just wears you down. <clears throat> Amen. You know, on criticism, uh, one of the things, and by the way, that's why I firmly believe in our model of church, which I believe is the biblical model, and that's to be elder-led. And we have a plurality of elders. We have six elders. So I I never feel like I carry the criticism or the complaints or whatever on my own shoulders just just by myself. And and that's been so huge for me to have that. Um, But, you know, one of the things we as elders, a verse in 2 Corinthians 1 where Paul says that that my the testimony of my boasting is is my my conscience, uh, and I'm butchering it now. But he basically says that I behaved with godly sincerity and simplicity. And one of the things that allowed us this past year, again from both sides, getting hit on every subject with emails, being able to put our head down on our pillow at night, just to say, you know, at the end of the day, we know that. Uh, we're, you know, cause what's been hard about leadership this year is man, it's, it's easy to choose right over wrong, but we've had to make, and all of us have, we have to make decisions when there is no clear right answer, you know, and that's real hard, that right? Me, you just yeah. articulated for me what was the most difficult part about it is whatever decision I made yeah. regards to mass social discount. You knew you were upsetting somebody. Yeah. And it's not and always and that, that way. That's when there's no right answer. And by the way, to not make a decision is to make a decision, right. Right? right? Or to wait is to make a decision. So, but, you know, I knew that I could put my head down on my pillow at night in peace because before God, we sought the Lord. We sought the counsel of the, of the word. We sought counsel of other brothers that we trust. And we made a collective decision that we thought was the best decision. And so uh, that I can sincerely tell people that we did what was in the best interest for you and was the most God honoring. So I think that, I don't know if that's helpful for you, but as you walk through criticism uh, to, to lean on that verse. Yeah. Roman, um, do you ever think seriously about walking away from the ministry? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, um, we started Roosevelt Church uh, in 2005. And for the, in the first 11 years of the church, I mean, things are great. Like, we had no real, I mean, the usual, like, church growing problems. But um, I remember a couple years in, and, you know, I, I regret thinking this. I thought, man, like, you know. I've heard every church goes through hard seasons. Maybe we're just one of those churches that, that won't have that happen. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, 2016 happened. And, you know, we're a multi-ethnic diverse church. And, and so well, the, first, the first half of the year, my associate pastor, uh, significant moral failure. I mean, he was sort of the, the most influential leader in our church besides me. And uh, we end up having to let him go. And so that was hugely disruptive to the church. It was like the first time something that significant had happened. And so people were sort of upset by that, certainly people who had been discipled by him and followed him. So that was disruptive. And then the election happens. And for a church like, our, like us, I mean, that was, that, was a, that was a huge issue. It was something that uh, we as, as an elder team decided we will address this. And, you know, we were upfront in saying we think there, there are issues here that are worth us addressing. We think the church is the place that it should be addressed and that we have a gospel that's able to address these type of issues. That there are racial issues in our country for us to talk about and deal with. 
And so, and I, I sort of made this assumption that, you know, I've been pastoring the church, you know, for all these years. You know, there's people in the church who remember back when we were sending up chairs and all that kind of stuff. Like, they'd give me the benefit of the doubt. They'd walk with me and, and follow my, my lead as we sort of said, hey, we're going to press into these things. And to see that not happen, and to see, um, and it wasn't the majority of the church. I think that's the thing about the criticism was, um, it, a lot, it's not, you know, a lot of times I'm like, you know, it's not, I can almost think through a number of the people who were having the, the biggest issues. I think the thing that hurts is that it's sort of this, this group of people who are vocal and, and include some people that you thought you were close with. Um, some people, my, my, the brother I, I walked with, right? And to see them sort of turn and to sort of go right into mistrust and doubt, um, to see people accuse you of things that were just, just wrong, just like flat out lies, slander, really. Um, and to see them sort of double down on those things, to see even after he had a conversation with people about, hey, here's what we're doing, and you think like, yeah, that they're, they, they got it, but then to realize, no, like they, they, they didn't agree and they're gonna be even more disruptive within the life of the church and tell other people. So all that was happening. You know, we were doing a number of different things in the end of 2016, sort of different round tables and other things and as a way of sort of helping us think through these issues. But some people said, you know, we, we don't want to be in a church that talks about these things, which was, which again was hurtful. And as that happened, and especially as I was getting, you know, so as people began to leave, about maybe a third of the church left in 2016. Um, and basically over, really particularly, I mean, somewhat related to the, the issue with the associate pastor, but then even more so with uh, us dealing with issues of race. Mm. Um, you know, to see people leave, and I, you know, that's, I need to do a breakout session on how to leave a church well, because um, it was like they wanted to burn the bridge down everywhere around them. And, and so this rude emails and all these other things, things said about me, my wife, I remember thinking like, what am I doing? Like, I don't need to do this. I've got like a good degree from a good college. <laughs> I got, you know, there's other things I could be doing besides, besides this. Like, I don't, I don't want to keep having this happen. I, I don't think I ever started looking for other jobs and like, you know, job searches and things like that, but I was, I was actively thinking like, this can't continue. I can't keep doing this. This, is, this isn't worth it. And yeah, and that was hard. It was a hard season. And I think, um, I mean, I'll just give it sort of a, I think what got me through this was a really strong elder team. And I think you can't get through seasons like that. You can't endure ministry without a, a good elder team, a good staff around you. And so their, their willingness to say, hey, Vermont, we, we, we believe in what you're doing and we, we, we support it. And, and that's to say we were agreeing on every little thing, but just a sense of, hey, we're going to walk through this together. And then they encouraged me to take time off. And I was like, this is not a season for me to take time off. Their encouragement for me to do that just gave me clarity, reminded me why I was doing this, reminded me of my love for Christ and how that was true. It almost freed me from saying I had to have my whole identity wrapped up in the church. I don't, you don't. Um, the church will continue past you, right? <laughs> it will continue, back, I mean, until the Lord tarries for generations past you. Um, what you have is your faith in the Lord and that matters above all else. And that was just, that freed me from, from a lot of the things that I was struggling with. Yeah. Mm. What about you, man? Yeah, um, I, I came real close to quitting the ministry <clears throat> three, three years ago. And, um, you know, you asked me to share the short version of the story. I will. Yeah. I was at a significant season of, of fatigue. I would say burnout. I never really understood what that meant. I think I was there. I was definitely leading out of my, <clears throat> not really out of an overflow of my walk with Jesus at that time. And, and um, 
was really for the first time in my life, I and mean, there's a big backstory, but I was seriously contemplating leaving the ministry. I was so tired, so frustrated. And a friend of mine that is, a, he's literally a, a billionaire. He called me one day, he said, Matt, why don't you come hang out with me? <clears throat> Went to his ranch, we're hanging out. And, um, you know, I've been praying like, God, do you, do you care if I leave? Do you want me to leave? Whatever. So we go hang out at his ranch and he said, Matt, I've been thinking about it. And um, I would like for you to come to work for me at my company and be kind of the head chaplain over the entire corporation, which is massive. He said, I'd like to pay you $1.2 million a year. And I was like, I hear you, Lord. Yeah, like, thank you, God, clearly speaking to me today. I, I had, uh, a couple of days before, I'd had a little spot off my ear removed, a little mole. True story, we're in the middle of the conversation, phone rings, it's the dermatologist, it was melanoma. So I had to look at him, I said, man, I've got to go. I, I left and went and dealt with that. It was real early stage. We caught it early. Short time after that, it's another really long story, but um, got a call from the FBI that, and they came and picked me up. I'm like, what's going on? And there was this credible threat on my life that the FBI had found and stopped before they carried it out. It was significant. It was real. The guy came really close to pulling it off. It involved my family. And that shook me up. And, um, and so at that point, I'm, I'm confirmed. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I really think I'm going to leave. So I call the guy again, and I'm asking more questions about the job. And um, I was literally on the phone with him again. And my phone rings, and it's my son. And my son never calls because he's in college. And... Um, <clears throat> I said, man, let me take this. I get it, my son, my son was uh, in a horrible car accident. And we didn't know, he's like, I think I'm okay. I'm not sure the car's stolen. They're taking me in the ambulance, bye. So anyway, completely wrecked me out. I'm driving as fast as I can to the, ambulance, or to the hospital. First and only time in my life I've ever yelled at God. And I was like, God, what in the world are you doing? You know, I've got melanoma. This guy's trying to take my life. My son, I'm like, if you gotta kill somebody, God, kill me. And um, anyway, long story short, I was supposed to preach that Sunday. I called one of the other pastors and said, I can't do it. I just don't have it in me. I had no idea what he was going to preach on. Made myself go to church that Sunday. And I walk in there and sit on the front row. He's preaching on Jonah. And he gets to that text, um, which talks about the Lord hurled storms at Jonah to get him to go and fulfill the calling on his life. And he's preaching guy named Ross Lister. And then Ross, just in the middle of it, sort of stops. And he says, you know, I don't think I've ever done this before, but I feel extremely compelled right now by the Holy Spirit to say this. And then he turns to the congregation and said, if there's anyone here that is running from the call of God on their lives and the Lord is hurling storms at you, would you stand up? And I, I stood up on the front row of my church, <laughs> bawling like a baby. And I made the decision right then and there that I'm not going to leave this calling unless God calls me out of it. But I'm not going to do it for another reason. And, um, 
And ever since then, if anybody ever suggests anything, I'm like, I'm not leaving the ministry, man. I'm out. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> well, that's a really dramatic story. I, I appreciate your sharing that with us. You know, I, does it surprise you that some of the really outstanding pastors in the country have faced this temptation to leave the ministry? It doesn't surprise me. Um, I think that there are things to be aware of in your own spirit that can alert you that you're getting worn down, you're getting worn out, irritableness, a lack of love for people when you find you just you just can't handle one more person. Or I think you've both, a couple of you mentioned loss of joy in the ministry. Maybe you get angry f- frequently uh, or, or depressed or I think sometimes we go through periods when we're, we lose our vision. We don't have any vision. We don't really know where we're going or what we're doing. That's very discouraging. It's easy to get so exhausted that you get down on yourself. I should be able to do better. I, what's wrong with me? Um, when there are more bad days than good days. These are all signs uh, to be aware of. You know, we are, uh, we're focused on the book of Hebrews in this conference, and uh, there's a great verse that I'd like us to take a few minutes to just consider together from Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, and I'm sure we're going to hear a great message on this before the week's over. But listen to this, we'll talk about it a bit. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary, and lose heart, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There are three or four points here in this passage that I'd just like to think about a minute. First of all, he says, being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I don't think this is just referring to all the saints who've gone before us and who've died, although that's very important. But it's also important to have heroes, to have mentors, to have cheerleaders and encourages who've modeled healthy ministry and who are in your life, who are encouraging you. I don't know if any of you all want to speak to that. Yeah, I mean, I I think, um, you know, the church that I pastor was planted um, out of the village church, actually, in 2005. And there was a pastor, the founding pastor was there five years and uh, had a lot of struggles in his life and uh, was actually asked to step down. Um, and, uh, he actually ended up over overdosing and passing away. It was a very tragic, uh, thing and great preacher, loved Jesus and loved this family, wonderful family. And, um, and so then obviously the Lord called, called me there. And once I got there, I started hearing stories about him and it did remind, I, I kept hearing how removed I felt like he was from a lot of the people in the church that didn't really actually know him well 
Um, and so back to being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, obviously that's referring to the Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, these examples that we have. But I think a pastor does need to be surrounded by people who know him, who love him, uh, who can speak truth and honesty, uh, you know, to him. And, uh, you know, I've heard pastors sometimes say, man, I, I just can't have a friend in, in, in my church. And I'm just like, what? I mean, I think that's one of the most dangerous things, uh, folks. If you feel like you can't have friends inside your church, uh, that's very dangerous. And so for me, the elders, uh, my wife and I, so we were supposed to have a sabbatical that last year, uh, three months sabbatical, COVID blew it up. And so after 10 years, I was going to take a sabbatical. And so we didn't get our rest. And man, it's been a very difficult year with everything going on. And man, my marriage, it, we're, we're doing great, but we got three kids and it's just, and there was a moment where I just really felt like, man, uh, the enemy's on, on the attack. And so literally being able to raise my hand and, and, and text the elders and say, I need you guys to pray for me. Uh, I, I, need to, I need to focus on my marriage. So I just to- told our executive pastor to take care of staff meeting and for me to go and, and, and meet with Tim Harkins, a guy on our staff who's a care guy, and really just, but to be able to do that freely. And that, uh, I just think we have blind spots. And if you don't have people in your life very close who can, who can watch and see, like you mentioned, there's irritability or, man, you don't have love for people like you used to because you don't sense it sometimes. And you need those folks around you to be able to see it and, and to be able to speak honestly to you. Yeah. And I also think it's helpful to, to have relationships outside the church. Um, and so having friendships within the church, but then, you know, taking advantage of conferences like this to yeah, meet sure. other pastors, this is a unique opportunity to meet other pastors in your area that you can connect with. And, and so, you know, I've had great opportunities to, to chat with pastors through Gospel Coalition. There's another network that we're part of called the Surge Network that's local to Phoenix or local to Arizona, I should say. Um, and just the ability to, especially this past year, to say, hey, how are you handling this issue? And so, oh yeah, people are saying this in my church. And to be like, oh, well, the same thing's happening to me. How are you dealing with that? How are you feeling about that? In some ways, it's, it's a good place to be able to just unburden yourself. Sometimes it's just a, just the ability to share and someone to be able to say, oh yeah, me too is hugely helpful. Um, and to have, especially in older pastors uh, that you're networked with, mm, who yeah. can say, hey, I went through it, right, in the 60s or the 70s or whatever it is, and here's how I, how I get through it. Here's how you can also get through it, uh, is, is hugely helpful and encouraging. I think there's two things that I try to remind myself to make sure that I have with people in my life, specifically some men is, um, I think we need, for those folks around us, I think you need to give them permission to speak in your life. And I think at the same time, they've got to have proximity to your life. And so those two things are key, permission and proximity. Because a lot of times you're close to men around you, you're close to your staff, you're close to your elders. But pastors don't give them permission to speak into their life when they see weaknesses, um, to check on them spiritually, emotionally, physically. And so they're close to them, they have proximity, but they've never given them permission to speak into their character. And, um, and then there's some situations where guys have given other pastors permission to speak in their life, but they don't have the proximity. I'll give you an example. I'm very good friends with Darren Patrick, who lost his life and, and lost his ministry a few years before that. Um, I loved him. We were, we were like brothers. 
And, and, and Darren had given me permission to speak into his life on any issue, um, to challenge him on anything. But we were 20 hours away from each other. Yeah. We didn't have that proximity. Yeah. And yet the men in his life, he'd never, that he had proximity with, he'd never given that permission. So I think permission and proximity. Because you've got David, uh, think of David, who literally sees a woman bathing and asks who she is. And, and they say, well, that's Uriah's wife. And then he calls for her. You know what I mean? And no one goes, uh, did you hear me? Uh, it's not your wife. It's someone else's wife. And no one had the permission to say, no, you're not going there. Even though they were right around him, right? And so I, that's a good word. that You have to have, have both of those. One of my favorite um, verses in, is in 1 John where it says, uh, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But what kind of fellowship? very next verse says, if we say we do not sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. So it's not a fellowship where you are around people, but no one really knows what's going on. But it's a fellowship where you're confessing sin. And man, that's, again, we all know that's the hard part of being a, pa- a pastor is we feel like, you know, uh, wrongly that we have to somehow hide our sin from our people. And I think if you get in that position, that's exactly where the enemy wants you to be to take you out. And you have to be able to have a group of men in your life uh, who, you, who you can say, hey, you need to know I'm, I'm, I've, I've messed up. I'm walking down the wrong road. If you say you do not sin, you lie. And the truth is not in us. Yeah. Uh, that, that passage goes on uh, to talk about in verse 1. Um, Running the race marked out for you. Run the race marked out for us. Guys, how important is it to know, to be deeply assured in your heart that you have been called by God to this particular ministry? I think it's, sorry if I'm jumping right back in, but I think it's, it's, it's huge. So for me, when my father disowned me when I became a Christian because my dad's a Muslim and um, my relationship with him was restored, but only on a provisional basis as long as I would go and be a doctor and make him proud of me. And that was the plan. I was going to go to med school and God called me into ministry and uh, I was running from it until actually a guy came and preached very similarly on Jonah and pointed me out and said, it's like Afshin over there. He's going to stop running from God to uh, go into ministry. And I was like, okay, I got it. So I told my dad and he called it. Uh, I said, you know how much I want you to be proud of me, dad, but I'm going to ministry. He said, not only would I never be proud of you, but I'll always be ashamed of you as long as I live. And it's the hardest thing, uh, words to hear from your father. But I was headed up to the Dallas-Fort Worth area to go to seminary. And I have never felt the peace of God all over me, like on that trip up I-45. And people say, man, I don't have a peace yet, so I'm not going to make the decision. For me, it's actually been the decision's always been really gut-wrenching, but it's after I make the decision that the peace floods in. And And for me, when criticism or when, man, what am I doing? Why am I walking away? My whole family thinks I'm ridiculous. There's been several times I'm like, am I doing the right thing, God? You know, because for 30-something years, my dad just passed away this past summer. I had an estranged relationship with my dad. Mm. And how many times did the enemy go, you're an idiot. What are you doing? Go back to your dad. But what just kept me going was to remember that drive up I-45 and remember that God's peace was all over me affirming that call. Yeah, I think it's important. Mm. I, uh, yeah. 
I had a fairly dramatic call to the ministry. It's something that I, I can't deny that the, that the Lord called me. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone back to that. Yeah. Remember that moment when he called me. There's a song came out years and years ago in the early 90s by the Newsboys. And it's a song sung from the perspective of Peter. And he's in jail. He's about to die for the sake of Christ. And he looks out the window of the jail and rain starts falling. And the line of the song says, water still reminds me of the seaside where eyes first met. And the idea is, is that he's about to give his life for Christ. And he remembers the moment where his eyes met Jesus' eyes for the very first time. And I can't tell you how many times when I've wanted to quit, I go, I go back to the beach. I go back to the seaside where my eyes first met his. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it wasn't about money. It wasn't about anything. It was about following him no matter what. And that calling has anchored me more times than I can count. We, uh, we've only got about five minutes left, and I, I don't want to f- miss this one. Um, that passage goes on to say, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I, I just want to ask this question, brothers. How have you learned to recognize attitudes or habits uh, that hinder your own well-being uh, in the ministry? And, or, or what are sins we can easily fall into uh, what, do you, what, what hindrances do you see that are common for us to fall into? And maybe how can we avoid them? <laughs> well, for me, um, it's, it's the degree in which I think I take on the attributes of God in my ministry and thinking that I need to sort of do things that only the Lord can do. You know? And really it was uh, Zach Ashwine's book, uh, Sensing Jesus and Also Imperfect Pastor, I think that really helped me sort of realize this about myself was just, Sort of this, this idea that almost I have to have to be everywhere, have to be omnipresent, um, I've got to be omnipotent, I've got to have control and authority over everything, uh, I've got to be omniscient. Certainly, this last year, I got to know something about everything, right? And um, and I begin to realize like that's I'm occupying a place that that that's not working. I mean, only God is really good at being God, right? I'm, I'm not good at doing it, and I don't have to know everything, right? I don't have to be everywhere. Um, I can admit when I'm wrong. Um, I think all those things, uh, just identifying those things clearly in myself and then beginning to realize the degree in which I was moving those directions was helpful. And because when I move in those directions, that thing then leads to all the other things that we're talking about. That's when I feel tired, exhausted. I'm doing the things that I humanly can't do because I'm human. And I want God to be God. And I just want to be pointing people to him and hopefully fulfilling the role that God has called me to. I think we all have blind spots. And, I, and for me, it goes back to that permission is being able to speak and to um, give permission to the men in my life to say, hey, I have blind spots. You have blind spots. I want you to let me know if you see issues in my character and see issues in my leadership that I may not be aware of. And I've done that and it's not been easy because my elders have taken me up on it yeah. over the years. And have set me down and said, man, when, you're, when you do this, this is how people receive it. Um, man, you're doing this. Do you realize you're doing that? And those are difficult conversations to have. But I believe I'm a better leader and a better follower of Christ today because I gave those guys the permission to speak into that. A lot of guys don't. And so they spend their whole careers in the same ruts that they, they've always been in. You got to learn to listen. You got to learn to listen to your wife when she tells you something you don't want to hear. You've got to learn to listen to your critics. They're not always right. 
You got to learn to listen to your staff. You got to learn to listen to yourself. And when you when you get away and you're self-reflecting on how things are going in your life and you see errors you've, you've made or habits that you've developed that are not good and you realize you've got to make changes, well, make those changes. Don't just think about it. Make those changes that you've got to make with God's help. Listen to God. Um, well, there's a lot more that uh, we wish we had time to talk to you about tonight. But I trust this has been helpful as we've tried to speak openly and honestly to you. John, can I say one more, one more yeah. thing? So uh, I think, you know, looking back to that calling again and remembering, but then looking forward to not only the, the ultimate, which is being face-to-face with Jesus and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Like, that's what motivates me to keep going every day, to endure. Uh, but also... Before eternity, being on my deathbed and hopefully seeing my children following Jesus and my wife uh, loving Jesus. And, and at that moment, you're, you're just not going to care about anything else. I think all the criticism, all the. And so for me, uh, a guy named Neil Jeffrey, who I really look up to, was huge in my life. And he said every time he pulls into his driveway, uh, when he leaves work, uh, he stops and he says a prayer. And he says, God, uh, and he just captures this. I'm about to walk in to the greatest ministry uh, of my life. And he has to pray and set his mind to that before he walks in. And that stuck with me. And I, tr- I try to do that every time I pull in. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters the most. So, um, One thing we haven't said is we all believe in the importance of ministering as a part of a team and not trying to do everything yourself. We got a great new book that's just come out called The Plurality Principle. The plurality principle, and it's based on the idea of encouraging us and helping us know better how to develop ministry teams in our churches. Well, I want to pray for you all, uh, and then we're going to move on to the next thing. Dear Lord, I thank you for these men and women of God who are seeking to serve you and to know you. I thank you that you call us into the work of making disciples and leading and guiding your people. I pray for refreshment upon these men and women, encouragement, and a great clear sense of calling that never deserts them. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. Check out more gospel-centered resources at thegospelcoalition.org.